This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Turn with me over to Haggai chapter 2. I'm not going to take you to a lot of scripture this morning, so I'll just remember, remind you of a couple of things and, and kind of hit the high spots on some stuff from here on out. But Haggai chapter 2 talks about the glory of the church. Verse 7, And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Silver and gold has to have something to do with the glory of God for the last days. Now, you decide for yourself what you think it is, but it's got to have something to do with it. God's not schizophrenic. He didn't change subjects. He didn't have a brain freeze and and jump to something else. And now he's going to jump back. Verse 9, The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. He's got to be talking about the church. He's got to be talking about the church having greater glory than the temple had. I believe he's talking even further when he talks about in these last days. I think he's talking about the glory of the last day church even being greater than the church in the first days. The early days that we see in the book of Acts. Now, that's for you to judge for yourself, too. I'm, I'm, it's up to you. But there are too many things that the Bible talks about the last days and God operating in the last days for me to ignore that. But I, please notice that the Bible says the silver and gold is connected to that. Why is that important? Because, folks, there's a famine coming to the earth. There's a famine coming to America. And, all, and when I say famine, I'm just talking about food. There is a famine, a time of famine that's coming to America as a result of their choice. That's going to be unlike anything we've ever seen before. It'll spread over into every area. The nation will be shaken. When I say that, please understand, I am absolutely convinced that the church is going to increase more and more and more. Now, I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure that means the church gets bigger. I'm not sure what that means, but I know the church gets better. I know the church glows brighter than ever before. Now, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about some things that the Bible says. And again, I'm not going to, I'll refer to scripture references, but I'm not going to take you there and take the time to read these things. I'm going to trust that you know enough or at least are interested enough to where you'll read it on yourself if you don't already know it. The Bible gives us a lot of things, a lot of information about what God does in times of famine. In Genesis chapter, uh, what is it, chapter 26, I think it is, it tells us about Isaac, who is Abraham's son. It's the son, the child of promise. Now, in Abraham's day, there was a great famine in the land, but Abraham had not yet reached the promised land. Abraham was still a nomad. He's still a traveler. And so God told Abraham to go down to Egypt, avoid the famine in the land that he was in, and go down to Egypt. And God blessed him there. It said Abraham became very rich. He became very great. Literally, he spoiled the land of Egypt by the blessing of the Lord. But when his son Isaac comes along, there's another famine that comes up. And folks, every generation faces their own famine in some way or another. Every generation, every person faces their own hardship, and they're going to have to decide for themselves, how are we going to handle this? When Isaac comes along, his natural inclination would be to leave the land that he's in, that Abraham has returned from. Abraham was in one land, left to go to Egypt, prospered, came back. Now there's a famine in the original land again. Isaac's inclination would be to do what his father, I'm sure, had told him about in times of famine. I went to Egypt. But the Lord speaks to Isaac and says, don't go to Egypt. You stay here. It turns out to be the land that God promised them down the road, but at that point Isaac didn't know that. 
Israel didn't know that until after Moses delivers them from the land of Egypt. But it turned out to be that very land. And so God speaks to Isaac and says, no, you stay here. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 26 that Isaac sowed in the land of famine and reaped a hundredfold results. Now, folks, again, remember, the Old Testament is given to us as types and shadows, examples. So if the very least we can read into the Old Testament examples that this is what God can and will do for his people, at the very least. So when you're in the place that God has put you to be, don't leave because it's hard. You can trust God for supernatural results in the middle of it. Now let's fast forward a little bit. Let's fast forward to the days of of, uh, Moses delivering the children of Israel from Egypt. You remember what the Bible says about uh, uh, when God is first talking to Moses in the burning bush on Mount Sinai. He's talking to Moses in the burning bush. Moses hasn't even started to argue with God yet. God just simply says, I am the Lord. I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Moses hadn't even asked yet, who who are you? I don't know who you are. How can I tell Pharaoh, let you go or let the people go because I don't know you either. He hadn't even gotten that far yet. The Lord says, first and foremost, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. He will deliver you with a, with a great, because I, I show great signs and wonders upon them. The children of Israel will ask to borrow gold and silver and jewels and other things from their neighbor and I'll bring them out. Now the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 12, I think it is, that that's exactly the way that it works. It's sometime later, but it's exactly what God said from the beginning. Here's how it's going to be. And it says that Israel went to their neighbors and borrowed. The word borrowed is kind of a kind of a difficult word for us because it literally means to demand. It means they went to their neighbors and said, look, we've been serving you as slaves for 400 years. It's time for you to pay up. And so they did. And it says they came out. Psalm 105 verse 37 says they came out with silver and gold and there was not one people among them. It tells us in Exodus chapter 12 that they spoiled the Egyptians. In other words, the Egyptians weren't giving them a little bit of their stuff. They were giving them all of their stuff. By that time, nine of the ten plagues had taken place. And they were so ready to get rid of these people because they recognized that this is the reason why all these bad things are happening to us. Locusts, flies, frogs, blood, uh, water turning into blood, all these kinds of things. Let's just get rid of these people. They gave them everything they had. So the children of Israel came out with all the possessions of Egypt. At least everybody they could get to. I would assume that would be most of the people. But let me ask you a question. Why? God knows what's going to happen, folks. God knows they're going to spend 40 years in the wilderness. He knows they're going to turn away from the promised land. It was not a surprise to him that the ten spies convinced the people not to go in. He knew. So why? What are they going to need gold and silver and jewels for in the wilderness? They're not going to pass any supermarkets. And remember, their sustenance was through manna and the quails, and the water that he provided for them. Now here's something I want you to understand. The principle that the Bible tells us is that God brings wealth and he meets your needs. Those are not two two of the same thing. God prospered Israel. Israel spoiled Egypt, but that was not God meeting their needs. But if if they had had stores to go buy food, then they could have met their own needs through that. But there weren't any places to buy food. They were dependent on God meeting their needs day after day after day, and that's why he brought them manna. That's why water came out of the rock. That's why when they complained, he brought them quail that stacked up three feet high. 
Please understand that God considers wealth to be different from meeting your needs. So much of the church seems to be trying to live off of Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. And think that's all God has. Just get me through this, this day. Get me through this week. Get me through this month. Folks, God's plan is to prosper you and then you not depend on the wealth that he brings to you because then he'll take care of your day-to-day needs. What do they need silver and gold for? There's only one thing they use it for. Exodus chapter 35 and 36 tells us that Moses was directed by the Lord to ask the people to bring an offering for the tabernacle. They brought silver. They brought gold. They brought dyes. They brought skins, animal skins. Where'd they get all this stuff? Most of the stuff that they brought was stuff that they brought out of Egypt. God prospered them, not met their needs day to day. God prospered them so that they'd have something to give when the time came. And the Bible says in Genesis, in uh, Exodus chapter 36, I think it's about verse 12, it says that the people brought so much willingly that Moses had to restrain the people from giving, saying, we've got more than we need, don't give any more. Could that be a picture of the last day church? It's possible. It's got to be an example of something. The Bible says it's a type and an example. It's got to be an example of something. We haven't seen that example yet, have we? I don't see preachers going on TV saying, now please don't give. I see a lot of people dedicating their whole shows to give, 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 give. Some of these folks have made a bad name for some of the rest of us that are just trying to do what God wants them to do and get the message out. Now everybody automatically assumes if you're on TV, you're after everybody's money. I've never asked anybody for a dime. Even you. If God's not big enough to pay for the things he tells us to do, who am I preaching about? So what is it an example of? He brought them the wealth of Egypt, and the only thing they ever used it for was to give to the tabernacle. Oh, but Pastor Mike, what about the promised land? Folks, they didn't need any wealth going into the promised land. They took the spoils of the city. There was only one city that God told them that you can't have the silver and gold. That's as a tithe unto the Lord, and that was the city of Jericho, the first one. Everything else, he said, is yours. The whole city, I mean, the whole land. Thousands of cities, kingdoms, they spoiled them. They didn't need the wealth of Egypt for the promised land. What did they need it for? There's only one thing they ever used it for, and that was to give to the offering of the tabernacle. It's got to mean something. You decide for yourself. Uh, Please, take your hands off your wallet. I'm not taking another offering this morning. What about another time of famine? First Kings chapter 17 tells us about Elijah and Ahab. What happens? Well, chapter 17 tells us about Elijah being fed. The people that serve God are taken care of in the times of famine. The ravens bring him food and the brook provides him water. But then the brook finally dries up. So what happens? He's sent to a widow. The Lord commands, he says to Elijah, go to a certain town for I have commanded a widow woman to, to sustain you there. Now folks, I always read this. I used to read it and think, a widow woman? Oh my goodness. Then I started thinking, wait a minute, sometimes widows are rich. <laughs> my guess is that's Elijah's first thought. Widow, rich widow. 
yes, okay. No more of this raven stuff. I can go somewhere and be comfortable. So he goes to the town. And what happens? He finds a woman gathering sticks. Lord says, she's the one. Seriously? She's the one? You mean this is her servant gathering sticks? No, that's her. He looks, she's got two sticks. You can make a big fire with that, can't you? So he says to the woman, bring me some water. She does. And then he says, now go bake me a cake. And she says, oh, my master, I can't do that. For I have but just a handful of meal and a little cruise of water. Cruise a little saucer. Or uh, not water, but oil. A little saucer full of oil. It doesn't mean a bottle of oil. It means a little plate with a little bit of oil in it. And she said, and that's all we have. And I came here today to gather my two sticks so I could make a fire to bake a cake. Now, folks, how big a cake can you bake with two sticks worth of fire? I mean, she could get a Zippo lighter and do just as well. So she said, my, my plan today, my daytime is all written out. Gather two sticks, make cake, and die. That's what she says she's going to do. Gather two sticks, make a cake for my son and I, and then we're going to die. Can you imagine Elijah? Lord, this is the woman you sent me to? I mean, we're not talking about a person of faith. She didn't have anything to believe in. She's just operating day to day. But what happens? Elijah says, feed me first. That's just like those faith preachers. <laughs> he already knows this poor widow woman has got one handful of meal and a little few drops of oil. And he says, give me something first. Folks, let me tell you something. God demands your first before he sustains you. Here's the type of the tithe. He said, feed me first. He said, because the barrel of meal will not waste Neither will the oil fail. In other words, it'll last as long as the famine lasts. Join us for our Christmas Eve candlelight service with Pastor Mike Webb. Christmas is a special time here at Foothill Family Church. I want to especially invite you to our Christmas Eve candlelight service. We have a chance to celebrate when Jesus came to the earth to be our Savior. Come join us this Christmas Eve. Again, that's the Christmas Eve candlelight service at 6 p.m. December 24th at Foothill Family Church. For more information, go to www.mikeweb.tv. Fast forward to the one that takes Elijah's place, Elisha. 2 Kings chapter 4. It tells us of a widow woman, who, a woman whose husband dies, and he owes a lot of money. Now, this can't have a modern-day application, can it? So she's, there's a lot of money due to the creditors from her. Now, in those days... They took your kids into slavery and, and took them as payment. So she said, I'm about to lose my sons. She's not worried about losing her house. She's worried about losing her sons. Bless people's hearts. They think, well, the Bible doesn't apply to today. <laughs> really? So Elijah, Elisha asked her, he says, well, what do you have? She says, the only thing I've got is a little bottle of oil. So he says to her, go borrow every vessel, every jar, every container that you can get your hands on. He says, borrow not a few. And when you get all your stuff, take them into the house, you and your sons, close the doors. This is just for you, not for anybody else. This is just for you. Close the doors and start pouring the oil into the containers. Well, the oil lasted until she got to the last container and then it ran out. Now, folks, she then came to Elisha and says, okay, here's what happened. Thank you. There's what happened, what I'm supposed to do. He said, sell the oil, pay off your creditors, and then you'll have some left. 
Now, I want you to understand something, folks. Both the coming out of Egypt experience, where they spoiled the the uh, Egyptians, which, by the way, it's the same word, borrow, where they borrowed the, the silver and gold from the Egyptians as the woman borrowed the, the pots and the containers in Second Kings chapter 4. The experience when Israel came out of Egypt with silver and gold and there was not one people among them. Also the experience with the woman in 2 Kings chapter 4. Those were set you up for life events. Oh, but Pastor Mike, God doesn't want anybody to have anything like that. Why? Because then we wouldn't trust him from day to day. Well, if that's your situation, it'll never happen for you. Don't worry about it. But God intends for people to be able to be set for life and still trust Him day to day. Those are not mutually exclusive events. You can still be set for life and trust God day to day. And that was the whole purpose of the warning that Moses gave the children of Israel in Deuteronomy. He said, God will bless you with silver and gold and your flocks and herds will multiply. Silver and gold will multiply. Your olive trees and everything you have will multiply. Just make sure you don't let your heart turn away when you have all the stuff. Which means it's possible to have the stuff and keep your heart in the right place. Now I gotta tell you, that's what I mean when I talk about spectacular increase. I know what the, I know what's coming folks. I know the writing on the wall. It's very easy for me to see. They're gonna start taking away deductions. They're gonna take away the tax deductible charitable donation opportunity. And then what are people gonna do? Some churches are going to dry up like prunes. Because some folks are only giving because of, well, the the double benefit of we can say we've done our service to God, but then we get the benefit of the tax too. What are people going to do when you don't get a tax break? What are people going to do when they increase your taxes? I don't care if they increase your tax rate or just drop the deductions. It's you paying more money. I don't care what they call it. And that's coming. Oh, no, Pastor Mike, not for the middle class. Well, then they'll say you're in some other class. It's all about how they define terms, folks. It's not about real life. So what's going to happen when people are paying more money, a net increase in their taxes, and get less benefit from it where the charitable donations are concerned? What's going to happen? You know what's going to happen to us? We're going to increase. But that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about when, I'm, when I speak of spectacular increase. I'm talking about life-changing events. I'm talking about life-altering events. I'm talking about things that take place that bring spoils. In Elisha's day, there was such a famine... That you remember the story where where Elisha, the king of Syria, finds out that Elisha is the one that's 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 cluing the king of Israel in about uh, the the king, the enemy king's plans and stuff like that. So he sends somebody to to trap Elisha. One of his servants says, "Well, there's a prophet over there named Elisha, and he knows what you say in your, in your bedroom." And so he said, "The king, smart people are always leaders." The king says, "Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll sneak up on him." He knows what you're doing, so you think you're going to sneak up on it. So he goes, and the next morning, the, the, the whole countryside is filled with chariots and enemy army, Syrian army and stuff like that. And so Elisha's servant says, oh, no, master, what are we going to do now? And he says, oh, don't worry about them. He said, there's more with us than there are with them. 
the servant looks and he counts. He says, there's you, there's me. And then they've got all those people. And then that's when Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes so he can see. And when the Lord opens his eyes, he can see that, the, that, that surrounding the enemy army are the chariots of God and the horses of fire and stuff like that. And so it becomes a great, great experience. Elisha goes out and, and says the word and the whole army, the whole Syrian army is blinded. And so the, now the Syrian army is blinded. They, they've got their weapons, but they don't know what to do. Elisha says, hey, uh, okay, come, follow me. Follow the sound of my voice. Follow me. He takes them to the king of Israel and they become captives. He captures the whole army. King of Israel, again, smart people lead. King of Israel says, oh, Elijah, Elisha, what should I do? Should I kill him? Elisha said, you didn't capture him. You don't kill him. But the king of Syria finds out about this. And so he comes at Samaria. That's where Elisha had taken him to. He comes to Samaria and he besieges the city. He cuts off their supplies of food. They don't have anything. He waits them out. And the famine gets so terrible that the king of Israel walks down the road and one lady comes up to him and says, King, you're going to have to judge between me and my friend. He says, okay, what happened? He said, she said, yesterday the famine was so great that my friend and I made a, made a deal. And we said, all right, we'll kill and cook my son today and then kill and cook your son tomorrow to eat. Now I killed my son and we ate him, but now she has hidden hers. So the king of Israel tears his clothes and says, can anything get any worse than this? And then Elisha says, this time tomorrow, a measure of wheat shall sell for pennies and there'll be an abundance of everything. And one of the king's advisors said, now get this, he says, oh, if the windows, if God would open, if God himself would open the windows of heaven, could it be so? He's questioning, is God big enough to do this? But the way he questions it is really important to me, is significant to me. He says, can God do that even if he opens the windows of heaven? Now, isn't that the promise of the tithe? That God will open the windows of heaven to you? There has to be a connection for the Holy Ghost to give us that record. In other words, for me, you judge for yourself, but for me, here's an example of what can happen when God opens the windows of heaven to the doers of the word. The siege continues. Later on that day, a couple of lepers say, you know, this is crazy. We're outside the city of Samaria. We can't go in because of our leprosy. They won't let us in. We go in there, they'll kill us. If we stay out here, we're going to die. Why don't we go throw ourselves on the mercy of the Syrians? If they kill us, we haven't lost anything. If they don't kill us, maybe we can live a little longer. So they go to the Syrian camp. Two guys, desperate. We've got nothing to lose. So they go to the Syrian camp and they find, the Bible tells us that before they got there, don't know when it happened, but before they got there, the Lord caused the Syrian army to hear something that sounded to them like a mighty army, chariots, multiplied numbers of chariots coming against them. So what do they do? They get into panic and start killing each other. The enemies of God are really intelligent, aren't they? They kill each other. Oh, we're hearing the chariots. I know. I'll kill you. That'll fix the problem. Yeah, sure, of course. So when the lepers get there, everybody's dead. I guess the last guy killed the the next to the last guy, and then he killed himself. I don't know. So everybody's dead. So the lepers go through, and they say, hey, this is really cool. 
The first thing they do is they gather up, they get food, a little bit of food to get them tidied over, you know. And then they start gathering gold and silver. They start hiding stuff. And, I mean, they're thinking, man, we've got everything. We've got everything we can possibly get. So they start hiding things to themselves, and then they look at each other after a while and say, we can't keep this a secret. God will get us if we do. So they go back to, to Samaria, and they tell the people there, here's what's going on. Look, we brought some stuff with us. And the, the people in Samaria, the king and, and his advisors, they don't believe it. They say, oh, this is a trick. They're trying to get us out there and kill us. But lo and behold, it happens just the way that Elijah says. They wind up going out there, taking the spoil from the whole Syrian army, never even had to fire a shot. The biggest work they had to do was to go carry the stuff back in. And it happened because, or just as, the way that the advisor said, if God himself would open the windows of heaven, could this be so? Folks, spectacular increase for me is turn your life around events. That's what I mean. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, you know, start believing God for some turn your life around event instead of going to work. Instead of trusting God to prosper whatever you put your hand to. But I'm telling you this. I'm telling you that where we group everything up together and think God will do a little bit, God does it all. I'll remind you again. We'll close with this, but I'll remind you again of Haggai chapter 2. And in the last days, saith the Lord, I will shake all nations. The silver and the gold part can't happen until the nations are shaken. America has just entered into its greatest shaking period. Trust me on that. If you don't, fine. Just keep your eyes on the news. Watch it happen. And the church won't be a, won't be a, a, a resistance to that. The doers of the word will. But the church at large will not. Watch in the last days for churches to fail. You watch. He said, and the desire of all nations shall come, and the silver and gold is mine. I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord, and the silver and gold is mine. The glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former. Folks, I'll say it again. In my opinion, I believe I'm saying this by the Holy Ghost, but you judge it for yourself. America's glory days are over. Don't look for some political party to change things. Don't look for some new leader. Well, we need a new Reagan. (laughs) We needed a new Reagan a long time ago. But a new Reagan is not going to, Reagan himself is not going to change things. If Reagan was raised from the dead, he's not going to change things. It's not going to happen politically. There's not going to be some economic thing that happens for America to turn things around. It's not going to happen. But there is something that is going to happen. And that is the glory is going to be shown upon the church because the church's days of glory are just beginning. Just beginning. So I submit this to you for your consideration. These things in the Old Testament have to mean something. You decide for yourself what they mean. I think I know. But I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to take what the Bible says for yourself. Amen. It's important for us to know the times that we live in. Because I believe Jesus is coming soon. I want to challenge you, therefore, to live your life according to the Word and believe everything the Bible says belongs to you is really yours. Thanks for watching today, and come visit us at Foothill Family Church. Join us for our Christmas Eve candlelight service with Pastor Mike Webb. 
Christmas is a special time here at Foothill Family Church. I want to especially invite you to our Christmas Eve candlelight service. We have a chance to celebrate when Jesus came to the earth to be our Savior. Come join us this Christmas Eve. Again, that's the Christmas Eve candlelight service at 6 p.m. December 24th at Foothill Family Church. For more information, go to www.mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.